Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Are you tired of investing your time and your energy into relationships that go nowhere and you know deep down the common denominator is you. You have awareness that whatever you're doing right now in relationships is not working, it's not serving you, and you are ready to take ownership of this area of your life and finally learn how to embody a securely attached, confident woman who can attract a great relationship. If that's you, I have a very special invitation I want to invite you to apply to the Empowered, Secure, and Loved program. This is a program designed to help you no matter your attachment style, no matter your relationship past, it will help you move to secure attachment so that you can show up confident, you can communicate well, you can navigate any kind of conflict, and you can create that relationship that you've always wanted while simultaneously having high self-worth and high levels of self-love. If that's you and you know that in 2022, you are ready for a great relationship and you're committed to getting there, I want to personally invite you to apply to the ESL program Use the link in my Instagram bio. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Morgan Coaching, DR Morgan Coaching. And the link is also in the show notes. Spots are extremely limited. So go apply now to reserve your spot and start your journey to high self worth and great relationships. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. Dr. Heather. Welcome, Dr. Heather, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So just a little bit about her. She is an OBGYN, the first one we've ever had on the show. Love really? it. Really? Yes. And she is also a podcaster, author, and speaker. She's breaking the mold with her knack for making taboo, uncomfortable material feel approachable. Her podcast is The Me Spot, and she's on social as well on Instagram as The Me Spot, correct? At Dr. Heather Bartos. Okay, at Dr. Heather Bartos. Yes. Welcome. We're so excited to have you. You talk about sex. You talk about all things taboo. I know the audience loves when we have someone on who can talk about those topics in an approachable way because it's just not talked about enough. No, I totally agree. Yeah. So I always like to ask my guests this, 
how did you get into this line of study and, and this career and turning into a podcaster? Like, give me a little bit of a background on you and how you got here. Yeah. You know, I, um, I went to medical school a little bit later than the average person. I was in my late twenties and I really thought I wanted to do pediatrics because I really loved kids, but I realized I was sick the entire time I was treating kids. And I thought this isn't the right field for me because I get sick really, really easily. So I ended up kind of landing into women's health. And I loved it because it was, it had breadth, it had depth, and I could go anywhere from like birth to like 101. And I just loved kind of journeying with women through their lifetime. And so I was just traditional OBGYN, just doing the basics, the bread and butter, you know, delivering babies, handling pap smears. And it was kind of through kind of two different people that I kind of got into the field of sexual health. One, I had a wild woman one day on a 70 year old. And at the end of it, she goes, can I ask you something? And I was like, oh, yeah, girl, go for it. I figured it was something about a refill or a referral somewhere. And she goes, how do I know if I've ever had an orgasm? And wow. it stunned me. It just, I mean, I literally was like, uh, oh, oh. Oh my God, here's a woman about my mother's age at that time who's asking me about orgasms. And if you have to ask, then you haven't had one, right? I mean, it's kind of how we feel about it. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of stopped everything and kind of sat down and started kind of going through it with her. And she had a great partner. He had no idea. And so we talked about really kind of just opening up and being honest with your partner about, hey, this is what's happening. And she's from a generation of women who weren't taught to ask for pleasure or to look out for their own pleasure. And I was just, I, I remember her to this day. I remember where I was. I remember everything about that, that, that patient who's probably, gosh, probably in her 90s now. And I was like, this is really, really rewarding. I felt really, really good helping her. And, and then my own personal struggle happened and I went through a two year period of a sexless marriage and it wasn't because I didn't want to, it was because my husband didn't want to. And I was always taught, like I'm sure a lot of us are that women are the ones that have low libidos. Women are the ones that say, oh, I have a headache. I don't want to do that. And I had no idea, like I had no idea how to kind of navigate this water. And so I didn't do it well. I'll put it that way. I, I started off by just sex shaming him completely and that didn't work. And then of course I did the thing that, you know, women sometimes where we follow like from room to room. Well, why won't, why won't, why won't? And I was like, that's not working. And we ended up going to marital counseling. Cause I was like this, I can't do this. And I thought it's me. I go, it's me. You know, I just had turned 40 and I was like, okay, I just had a baby. I was like, maybe I'm just fat or I'm ugly or he's, you know, I'm, I'm bad in bed. These were the first, you know, first tier thoughts. Second tier thought was he's cheating on me. Um, third tier thought was maybe he's turned gay and this is it. Like, this is what my life is going to be. And so I really had to go through a lot of, we don't get a lot of sex education in, in gynecology residencies. You would think that we would, but we don't, it's never discussed, never. And so I really went through kind of everything, learning everything I could about sexuality, women's sexuality, men's sexuality, trying to figure out everything and became a passion project on how to fix myself and how to fix other women. And now I even have some men that come in 
on how I can kind of unpack all the things that happen sexually. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, this podcast is called Let's Get Vulnerable. And I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that powerful story. I know so many people can relate to it. Um, And let's go back to what you talked about, the narrative that women have about how they're supposed to be in a sexual relationship and the idea that, you know, it's the man who has the desire and the high libido. Um, and I guess what, what you would say about the narrative of, I guess, shame that, that women have around asking for what they need. Yeah, it's, it's prevalent. And I didn't even realize how much we're not kind of educated or even just trained as young women, young girls, even, you know, cause I remember reading that, you know, beliefs about your sexuality were really set by about age eight. I didn't know anything about what sex was by eight, but that's kind of what we get glean kind of from what's around us, from our parents, grandparents, you know, religion, um, kind of just the world around us. And so if you come from a home where, and I always go back to Mad Men, it was one of my favorite series, but, you know, you saw Betty Draper um, kind of really come down on Sally when she was touching herself, which is a normal developmental phase for all young children to go through. She said, that's dirty. And, and when I watched it later on, I go, wow, how many young women have been told as a child, don't touch yourself. Don't keep your legs closed. That's dirty. These little comments that are meant to be helpful, but really set the seat for all that shame to start. And then, you know, what kind of carries on when, you know, friends talk about, oh, well, you're going to do it with him. And it just layers on. It's like a big layer cake of just shit shame that kind of can keep going. And, and the narrative really is, it's so entrenched. We don't even know that we're thinking it, but we, we, as a, as a group, as a collective of women, we've stopped asking for pleasure. We really think we're supposed to give it up. I mean, that's the phrase, you know, give it up for him. Um, and it's not about his pleasure. That's why, of course, I call it the me spot. It's about your pleasure and, I and love it. what you can, what you can get. Let's talk about women faking orgasms. I know. Right. And everyone <laughs> thinks automatically of when Harry met Sally, right? And that, that great. If I could fake an orgasm as well as she did in a diner, man, I could probably, I guess I would win an Academy Award, right? I um I think it's it's, it's sad that we are afraid as women to get vulnerable and to say to our partner. Hey, uh, it, it, it can be good. You can still have good sex without an orgasm. And most women cannot orgasm with just penile penetration alone. It just doesn't happen. And it's just the way our bodies are set up. You know, the clitoris was only fully mapped by a woman finally in the 1990s. Until then, Whoa. we just thought it was this little nub, like a little P-shaped nub that sat on the top up there. We didn't even know that it's really shaped like a wishbone. And so it's got like these kind of legs that come down. And so really it's analog is a penis, but the clitoris's only purpose is pleasure. Whereas a penis does other things as well at peas and everything else. So it um, it's amazing how we're just kind of coming into this, what I will think will be a new archetype for women where we can talk about it, but faking orgasms, doesn't help anyone. Yeah. And I think there's no shame in that. Obviously, if you have, I feel like every woman has, honestly, 
Um, and I look at it from an attachment theory lens. And in particular, when I think about anxious attachment styles and that desire to not be abandoned and to just always please your partner, I think there's real fear that if I was open and honest about my lack of pleasure, that this would damage that person. It would like hurt their self-esteem and it could hurt our relationship. So there's, there's so much fear about the relationship. Yeah. It's a don't rock the boat kind of thing. You know, it's like, if I just fake it, maybe I'll fake it till I make it. And, you know, but it doesn't usually ever happen because if you're not communicating back and forth and I find that most men I talk to really enjoy feedback. I mean, they don't want to hear you're doing it wrong, but they enjoy some sexy feedback and you can actually even word that into some of your foreplay and such, you know, touch me here. Oh, I love that. And giving them really positive feedback when they're doing it well, just like we do with kids now, right? We just always say, you're doing it wrong. You suck at school. We're always trying to encourage the good things that they do, which also then reduces the fight or flight in kind of the, in your partner's mind. Cause if they think they're doing it wrong, they're going to start panicking. And, and so no one in that moment is resting nicely in their libido. They're actually now back in their prefrontal cortex. And they're like, Oh my God, I'm doing it wrong. I suck. And so by just, just giving that positive feedback, you'll get there. I love that. Um, I want to talk about, cause I do get this question quite a bit. What happens when you and your partner have a different level of sexual desire and one of you is desiring sex every single day? The other person is like, oh, you know, once a week, every couple of weeks. What would be your advice on how, how do you have that conversation? Yeah, it's it's a conversation a lot of people just don't have. They just don't have it. And or they do it poorly like I did it. <laughs> which was not the way to do it, folks. Um, I think that, you know, first I always tell couples, it is completely normal and expected that you're going to have mismatched libidos or sexual discord at some point in your relationship. It's going to happen. So if we can figure out how to, again, navigate that water now, the next time it happens, you know, birth of a child, menopause, all these changes, you know, someone loses a job, you now have financial struggles, all these things affect our libidos and our activity in the bedroom. So if we can figure out how to communicate these things now, then the next time you get onto rapids, you can kind of float the rapids a little bit easier. So the first thing I always say is when we're talking about discord is, is, is there a reason for the discord? And I just mentioned a whole bunch of really legitimate reasons why people aren't having sex. And so just to kind of, if you're the person that has the high libido um, or the low libido, looking at the relationship and saying, what external factors are affecting us right now? Is it that we have, you know, the in-laws living with us? That can't be sexy. That can't do it for anyone. And then looking at really where both partners are willing to compromise into, and it really can be a compromise. So if you have a partner that wants sex once a month and you have someone who's got a very high drive and wants sex once a day, then we have to find something that's the middle ground, you know, not neither partner is going to end up because both partners should want to please the other one. There should be some, some kind of intimacy in the relationship. So I tell my lower drive partners, you're going to have to reassure your partner that you are attracted to them, that there is something there. Just because you have a lower libido doesn't mean you get to just relax in the relationship and you don't ever say anything. You have to reassure that partner who feels as though 
they're not getting what they need. And that higher drive partner has to give that person that's the lower libido some space to do their thing. If you start pressuring someone to do something all the time, their natural human drive is to say, uh, no, thanks. I'm good. Hence like salespeople. That's why we're turned off by pushy salespeople because you're like, I got it. I'm not interested right now. And so if you take a step back, which is what I did in my relationship, I finally stopped chasing him around the room to find out why. And I said, you know, I'm just going to work on my own self. What pleasures me fix the, all the unpack that whole baggage of shame and regret and all these things I grew up with. And then by not chasing him around the room, guess what? He came back. He came back to the middle point. And so it's finding those middle ground. And of course, I tell someone with lower libido, if you're not going to have sex that night, you need to circle back and tell them, hey, tonight is not good. I really, I swear, I really, really do have a headache, but I'll tell you what, let's cuddle tomorrow morning and then let's reassess. You can't just leave it because that's when people start telling themselves new stories. I love that you said that because that's the same thing I say to people about communication and tough conversations. So if you need to not have the tough conversation, that's fine. Just make sure that you have a time when you will readdress it. So I love that because when, when we think about the core of relationships, it's all about building that secure attachment. And part of that is the reassurance and we can relax and feel secure when we have that reassurance and we know they do hear me, they, they do know what I need and we're going to come back to it. So I love that you said that. Well, um, it works in everything, right? I mean, it does. <laughs> it goes everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I am so curious because I see this talked about a lot and I have my own take on it, but I'm curious your take on scheduling sex, or I would call it intimate time because I wouldn't want to assume that that's what it would lead to, but I would call it intimacy. Anyways, what yeah. are your thoughts on putting it on the calendar? Yeah, I am. Um, I. I am a fan of it for a lot of my patients because I think, especially as women who are driven and that's kind of, you know, the average woman I see that's like, I, 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 we're not having sex and, but I'm busy and I run a business and I do this and I just, I go, okay, do you have a to-do list? And they go, yes, I check it off every night. That's the woman I'll say, then schedule it. And I'll start by usually saying schedule. It's kind of like how you schedule like your social media sometimes, like, right. You might do a carousel one day and a reel the next. And, you know, so you can mix it up. So I'll say maybe Tuesday is sext day and you just send something that says, I'm thinking of you. It doesn't have to be a boob picture or anything like that. I don't recommend that always, but something that says, I'm thinking of you partner, or, you know, I just walked by someone and I, and I thought I could smell your perfume, whatever it is, you can just say something. And that's like a Tuesday thing I usually will say. And I'll start women off on this kind of because they're used to a timeline. And then I may say Thursday now, you may just kind of reach behind them as they're doing something in the kitchen and just kind of hug them. So you're kind of, I kind of time multiple things throughout the week, not just the banging to bang, bang. Um, like you say, you know, you don't want to make it lead to, to sex, but of course you want to build that intimacy up as a habit. Right. And so, you know, I remember reading Atomic Habits. I thought it was a great book. So adding your habits onto what you already do is a way to seat that as now part of your life, because it's really easy to write off sex and sex stuff because you don't have to have it. So we think, but when you actually get back into the groove, it's like working out when you get back into, you go, I really like this again. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. I I just think of some of the couples, and I'm sure you've seen this too, but when we fall away from that, it's easy to fall into the sexless marriage. And some people that I've worked with, you know, they go seven years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and the habits of not having intimacy have been so ingrained, right? So I love that we're talking about this because I want anyone who maybe it's like their sex life is okay. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they feel okay with it. I want people to be proactive, like start thinking about the long term, right? Think about the habits now. Um, because just as you said, you never know how things are going to shift. And if you can be intentional and proactive about the habits that you're creating, it's going to set you up for a great relationship in the long term. Yeah. And these are little things, right? I mean, sending a text is two seconds. We send texts all the time. And so just little things, but that will mean a lot to your partner. I mean, if you ever remember back when we were all dating, right? How like you get a text or a call and you would just be like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And the dopamine release that you get from someone saying they're thinking about you. And so we don't even realize how much we can make. I mean, even gosh, sending a letter these days, no one does that. I never get letters, only get bills. But if you got a letter, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I got a letter in the mail. So it's just, these are tiny things, but they're intimate and that's what makes them. And I talk about sexual inertia with my couples, which is where basically, you know, like inertia, like a ball in motion will stay in motion until someone changes its direction. It's easy. We all talk about with kids. Oh my gosh, when did they grow up? When did they become 20? it's really easy for time just to go boom and it's done. So that's why, like you say, proactive now and they're little tiny things. We're not talking about our workouts, <laughs> little tiny things. Yeah. I love this. I, I talk a lot about creating relationship culture and just this awareness that every relationship has a culture. You're either creating it or you're just letting it happen. Um, so. I think we're definitely on the same page there of just, Hey, you get to be intentional. You get to create the kind of connection that you want. And it is, it's small things. It's the day to day moments. Um, Heather, I want to shift a little bit. You have a topic here that I have just been dying to ask you about. (laughs) I love this because I am all about using Um, a vision board, using affirmations, getting so clear on where we're headed with our lives as a total picture. But you talk about vision boarding life between the sheets. So how to create a sex life vision board. Yeah. Now this isn't one that you paste on your office wall, you know, when you're like, Oh, I want to drive this car. I mean, you can, that's totally fine. Love it. But you know, if you got kids at home and stuff, they probably don't want to see what's on that vision board. Yeah. I love, I love a good vision board. It's my, one of my favorite kind of things to do. And I realized we could do this with sex too. And it's interesting. I'll have so many women that think that there's just one way to be. And we also fear, um, kind of as we get older, that we're going to be less sexy, right? This this is another myth that we've kind of been taught through the years. So I love one, I love putting on there women who I think are sexy. They embody some kind of sexy that I think I would want to be. So I just kind of call it finding your sexy soul sister. 
Um, and what I do is I find women that are my age or older because we always want someone to look forward to, right? It's a vision board. It's not a, you know, a passport. So I don't look at like Kendall Jenner's and these kind of young models because I'm, that's done for me. I'm, you know, I'm 50. So now I want to look in, at a forward. And so I find women that I think embody what I would like to be. And I will people like um, Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren is in her late seventies. She's amazing. She's still sexy. Sophia Loren. And I'll usually try to find someone. It's actually a fun kind of thing to do with your friends at cocktail hour, but it's like, who do we find? And when I talk to other women, I'll find that all sorts of women that I never thought about, I'll go, wow, that is sexy. And then I'll pull out what's sexy, what I think is sexy about them. For instance, if I chose Ruth Bader Ginsburg, now you look at her and she's, you know, four foot tall and, you know, everything. You're like, that's not really sexy, but her brilliance or her gumption is what I find sexy about her. And so I'll pull out that and I'll put those words on my vision board, you know, or Mindy Kaling or Amy Schumer, oh, funny. They're funny. They have a quick wit and I find that sexy. And they're the same things that I find sexy in my partner as well as myself. And so I'll put these words up there. And then there's things, you know, if there's something that you're wanting to try, I think we're always kind of led that, you know, new things sexually are, are, they got to be bad, right? Like if you want to try something like, you know, a little 50 shades, although worst book ever written, but 50 shades. And you're like, you know what? I'd like to bring that into the bedroom, a little handcuff. So you can put a little picture right there. Doesn't mean you have to do it, but it's a way to start really unpacking what is sexy for you. And like my vision board for my future business is of course different than yours. So should my sex vision board be, it should be my own personal experience. And when you really look at it, you go, wow, this is what I want to be. And this is how I want to come to the self in the bedroom. I want to show up in the bedroom and it's very powerful. I love this. I love it so much because I think we do this in so many areas of our life, just as you mentioned, you know, business, personal, family, travel, right? All of that is very easy. And I think that it's sort of a social norm even now that you would do that, but we don't talk about this. So I I love that you have um, created this. It's awesome. Um, It's so funny you mentioned 50 Shades of Grey because... I love to read and I, I write as well. I'm, I'm working on a book. That was one book I could not read. It was poorly written it, in my opinion. Like I tried to read it. I wanted yeah. to, everyone was reading it, but I couldn't. It was poorly, it was poorly written. I couldn't do it, Heather. It, it sucked. I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to say, I hope no one's friends with uh, E.L. James. Um, to me, it was a woman who had actually no experience in that, in that sexual area. And he was just trying to write, it wasn't even like the good bodice rippers. I used to read Jude Devereaux back like in college and, you know, where the, you know, he would take her on the beach in a Scottish outfit, whatever, you know, those <laughs> kind of historical, romance. it wasn't even like that. It was yeah. like, you're right. It was just poorly written. And I thought it really did a disservice to a lot of women who thought, you know, the first time Anastasia has she's never had sex. She's never even kissed a guy. And all of a sudden she's having an orgasm her first time in the elevator with some random dude who we all agree is probably a narcissist. And I'm like, that is setting the stage for a lot of disappointment because no one does, no woman does that. 
Thank you for saying that. I think it's so important to call out models that don't serve us because if we're not careful, we just kind of internalize those things, right? So such a popular film and book, I think it's important to say, well, this really wasn't helpful for women. This wasn't really realistic. It wasn't helpful. Um, I Is there erotica out there that is helpful to women? I haven't personally looked, but does that even exist? And it, if it does, is it mainstream? Yeah, I mean, there are, I think, I mean, there are, you know, the poems of Anais Nin, who is a, you know, a, a writer from the past. And, and some of those, those past works, if you're really into kind of more of the literature version, there right. is some good erotica out there. If you're going on vacation and you just want to kind of get a little horny, uh, you know, while you're on vacation, I do think those little bodice rippers, they're quick read. They're not meant for you to, they are fantasy, They, but you're put in that fantasy position and you can, you know, it's, it's in a different time. It's in a different place. It's different mm-hmm. clothes. It's not, it's not saying this is how it should be today. It's literally the entire thing is fantasy. And those are a little bit, I think, a safer venue because you're not expecting a swashbuckling pirate to walk up and just take your clothes off and take that's, you know, that we already get that that's fantastical, but those are kind of fun. And women we're very imaginative creatures. We're very, we like to think about what's, what could be. And so those are fun to kind of take us away as long as you realize that's not the current expectation. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but, but I love, you know, back to what we talked about with the vision boarding, just allowing yourself to play in that way. And I imagine you run into this, that there are women who say, I don't know what to put on here. They've never allowed themselves to think about it. And I think just the act of saying, well, I'm going to take time and I am going to think about it. I'm going to explore. There's no right or wrong answer of, you know, what my desire is and what, what turns me on. I'm just going to allow myself to play with it and experiment I think just the exercise in itself of creating that is a healing experience. It absolutely is. And, and, you know, just like I tell everyone, you're going to, you're going to do something silly at some point. I mean, you're going to put on some lingerie and you're going to put it on wrong upside down, whatever it is. And you just have to have a partner with, with whom you can yep. laugh about it and say, oh my gosh, this, and laughter is gr- a great foreplay. You know, laughter, I would say, if you want to get a really good foreplay, don't take your date to a romantic movie, take them to either a horror movie or a comedy. That's a slapstick comedy because it, it releases those expectations, but also gets other parts of us kind of ramped up a little bit. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, I want to shift again and just talk to you about something that I talk with the women I help a lot, um, which is how sex can sometimes be misused as a way to create emotional connection or emotional safety. And I know maybe I can explain a little bit more, but, but sometimes I think as women, and you talked about this, that pressure to quote unquote, give it up early stages of dating. And how sometimes that can feel like, oh, wow, I've created this relationship with this person. We've been intimate in this way. However, in reality, you don't have the emotional connection. You don't have the secure attachment. 
that actually supports a physical connection. So I think there's a bit of an epidemic of, and especially like our young people, um, of using sex as a way to create emotional connection instead of emotional connection then leading to sex. So I'm curious, just your your thoughts on this, your your perspective, because like we never want to shame sex, but at the same time, we want people to have healthy, great, emotionally safe relationships. Yeah, I I blame a lot of this, and this is going to be a very unpopular moment. Here, That's okay. On, Go for it. on Disney, I blame a lot of it on Disney. I, you know, I remember, I call it the princess filter. I remember, you know, as a young girl watching these traditional Disney princesses and thinking, oh, well, they get treated like shit somewhere. And so what happens is some guy that they don't know picks them up and rescues them and they go live in his place. They've never really had any kind of conversation and all of a sudden, they're now married and they're a princess and all is happily ever after. And I, for a long time in my, even in my early twenties, I thought, Oh, this is, this is it. I just need someone, a man to come, come rescue me. And I remember even just kind of having that fantasy of like, you know, I'm, you know, on a street by myself. And then, you know, here comes this guy and he's, you know, fighting off what, you know, some thugs, or I mean, whatever it is. And, and, and I realized I was like, this is really fucked up. Like it's, it's, you know, and then the, thankfully Disney is trying to get some new kind of, kind of grittier, kind of more self-sufficient princesses. But, you know, the traditional ones we see all the little girls in, Cinderella, the blue dress, I mean, all this is, it's not serving us, it's teaching us as women to be um, passive and victimized. And it's okay to be picked up by someone rescues you, you have to go with them. No one ever says, no, I don't know you. They go. and. And I think that that creates this expectation that, oh, well, if some guy rescues me, then that's it. Like I'm going to live happily ever after. And it's wrong. It's a Kool-Aid drink that we don't need to be drinking, but it certainly has created some of that because we don't know how to get that emotional bond first. And I haven't seen a Disney show that shows that. I don't think um maybe shrek I think, actually did i think a we should pitch it i think we should pitch it to disney let's I, let's make a I think so you know and she's like she turns them down she's like or yeah. you know she says you know no i want to i want to figure out who you are i need to figure out myself first i've been asleep for 20 years yeah. i gotta figure out what i want and then i'll call you back or you know, whatever it oh, is yeah. she's like let's go get coffee and let, yeah. let's just go on a 45 minute coffee date. And then maybe the yeah. next date we see around a lot walking. of other people, you yeah, know, there's other people safety. there. They're just talking. Yeah. We don't overshare too much on the first time. We just no, kind of no. get to know some basics. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a hit. The, I, Hey, I think so. I mean, it's so funny how, so we all grew up watching those movies. My favorite one was Aladdin. Um, and it's, it's funny, like, it's just unconscious. It's not as if we realized that we were internalizing these models, just completely unconscious. And then it plays out. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, Jasmine wow. was gorgeous and she was a princess trapped in a, you know, and she had the little, you know, little short little pants and like the, you know, the crop top things that I could never wear yeah. today. But yeah, it just, it just was fed to us. Just, you know, just like, yeah. 
you know, uh, cartoons and commercials. It was just fed to us. And we just all, you know, again, before that age eight, just sat there accepting that this is what it was. Yeah. And it's Disney and it's rom-coms and it's Hallmark movies. Oh my gosh. The Hallmark oh. movies drive me crazy. And no, I, I love, love Disney. I love Disney. I love Hallmark. I love, <laughs> love all these places. Yeah. We need to have like a warning, a caveat on all of them. It says, this is not real life. And yeah. this is not going to just take this with a grain of salt. That's what they should say. Yeah. The Hallmark movies, the main character is always already in a relationship. So she's in this relationship. Something's not right. And then, you know, she meets somebody new and he sweeps her off her feet. And then somehow she ends that relationship and she boom goes into this next one and they, you know, right off into the sunset horrible for relationships it is so and it's just these that's why i prefer the historical ones because at least you can say like you know like outlander at least you can say like well that was back then you know it's a lot different there we go i have a friend who's actually a hallmark writer for shows and she's so not like that as a person but she writes this stuff and i'm like this is so anti you but it's what hallmark wants that's what they want they, they are my guilty pleasure. So, I mean, I, you know, but I have this awareness, I can see it and say, well, that's not how it actually works. But, you know, our, our young people or people who don't have that awareness, they're just internalizing all of these models. So, yeah, yeah, I appreciate this conversation because yeah, I don't think it happens enough. Um, there's so many things I could talk to you about. I feel like we could, we could talk forever. But I do just want to ask you, let's say someone is so new to this awareness of their sexuality and coming into their own sexual identity. Like, how do they start? Like, what what would be the first few steps you would advise them? Yeah. To take? I mean, I have women that start this, you know, at 20. And I have women that start this at 70. And so I say it's never too early or too late to kind of kind of start to gather data about what your sexuality really is for you. It's no one else's. It's not cookie cutter. And despite what everyone else says, social media, et cetera, it's, it's really very individual. And I always like to start with just, again, like finding women that, and it can be women, you know, it doesn't have to be celebrities. They're just an easy target because they're out there, but it can be women that, you know, and the first thing I tell every woman is that we should be telling other women what we think is kind of sexy about them. And it doesn't make us a lesbian. It doesn't make us weird or creepy. I mean, if, if you do it the wrong time, it could be creepy, but really noticing what is sexy about another woman. Cause you know, what we put out there comes back. Right. So like, if I, if I say Morgan, I think your eyes are beautiful. They're dark. They're penetrating. They're, you know, they kind of got this kind of like kind of hooded almond shape. And I'm like, I think that's so sexy. You are going to walk around with your head held high the rest of the day. And you're probably going to give some other woman a compliment. We have this idea that we're competitors for a limited amount. It's like a mating thing. We're competitors against each other. And therefore putting other women down, that makes us sexier. And it doesn't, it, we need to make the collective all sexier. And by telling another woman what you think is sexy about her, it will lift her up in a way that we don't even imagine. And then she will go out and spread that. It's just, it's, it can be really magical if we start there. 
just notice what's beautiful and sexy. And I say sexy and, you know, kind of a beautiful, I mean, inner, you know, what's inner about people, you know, you can look at someone's eyes or, or mouth if you first see them and, and that's something, but you can also just compliment something else that you see. And that's a great way to start seeing what you find sexy, because the more you point out, the more you're like, wow, I didn't, that's kind of like me. I'm, I'm kind of like that. And that's a great way to start identifying what your sexy is. And I talk about inner sexy because that's really, I mean, I'm not talking about being like a Victoria's Secret model and like a thong and like high heels. That's great, but that's not necessarily sexy. That's just sexed. Um, sexy really starts inside. It's like a freedom. It's a confidence. It's like a, um, as the French would say, a je ne sais quoi about a woman that makes her exciting. I love it. Thank you for that. And I receive your compliment. Thank you as well. And I, I think a hundred percent being in that abundance mindset and really lifting each other up as women, we, we have to step into that. And it's just such a better way to live such a better way to live. So, yeah. So I really appreciate this time with you, Heather. I always ask my guests just one final question before I let them go. Um, and that is, if you were walking down the street and there was somebody who came up to you and they asked you for your best life advice of the moment, it doesn't have to be like all time life advice, but currently if someone said, what's your best life advice, what would you say? Oh my gosh. No pressure. I know, right? No pressure. I'll tell you right now, I am in a space. I'm really trying to honor sustainability. Um, that's kind of my new passion besides sexuality. That's all the S's. Sustainability, sexuality, all these are my passions. And I would say every, get your feet on grass, get some sun on your face, breathe some fresh air and laugh. Love that so much as a native Montana girl. That's like my, my heart is just to be outside and see the mountains and breathe the air. So, and laughter. Absolutely. Yeah. Beat it. I love that. That's great advice. I think our audience will love that as well. Heather, how can people connect with you? They want more. They want to connect with you. What's yeah, the best so way? I'm usually posting very probably, um, I'll call it Instagram, um, sex adjacent information on Instagram before they try to ban me. That's always kind of a fine line <laughs> with uh, social media. I have been censored before for writing that like we should have healthy sex. So I always say that that's usually me pushing the boundary a little bit on Instagram at Dr. Heather Bartos. Um, and of course the me spot podcast is on Apple and Spotify and all the favorite podcasting apps. And I kind of say mine's kind of like a blog, a blog, a podcast blog is what I kind of call it. And it's really just kind of counseling on how I do my own patients, but on a broader scale. I love it. Thank you so much for being a guest. I know that our audience is going to get a ton of value out of this episode. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. It was a great. Yes. And everyone, of course, you know, we are wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. 
The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.